Hey everybody, it's Bill Courtney with an army of normal folks. And now we continue with part two of our conversation with Alice Marie Johnson, right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the daughter of a woman who grew up a sharecropper and probably the granddaughter of slaves, if I'm doing the... the your, your mother was probably the granddaughter of, of actual slaves, right? Right. Who somehow found the good in all people. I guess that DNA that filtered down to her daughter doesn't surprise me that you would skip in prison. <laughs> You would find some light in the darkest of places. And so what'd you do in prison? I started writing plays. and Writing plays? Writing plays. That's hilarious. Because I've always loved to write. Yeah. And before I went to prison, I did a few little short things at church. Nothing very long. But I would hear people, I just started writing. Because that was the way that I would deal with stuff. And I, wrote, I started writing little skits and putting on shows in prison. But the actual first thing that I did, because they put me in BT. What's that? Vocational technical. Because this woman is unusual. She knows I taught typing. I taught computers. You taught other inmates. Other inmates. Okay, so not everybody 
that you're around is in for life in 25. Right. Some got three, four, five some, years. Some a year. And so, so you start teaching my role skills for people to get right, out. To get out. My role was to prepare them for reentry. So I helped them redo their resume. Was this an official role? Did the prison give you this role? Or yeah. Is it just so they gave they they gave me that role. I worked in vocational technical, and it's it's something how once people realize that you can do things, they'll give you more to do. Yeah. And so yeah, they, I've experienced that. Yeah. So they realized <laughs> that. Once I saw one person struggling with their resume and I wrote them a fire resume and then I got the newspaper and said, these are the jobs that you should apply for. They said, I don't. I said, yes, you do. And so they started using me more and more. But then I noticed that the women who had long sentences like myself couldn't take the classes. And so they were I, like, don't waste the time on them because they ran out anyway. So. Is that why? That was exactly why they said they're well, not. Why not give them a little hope while in That prison? was my question is how do you tell a woman not to hope? How do you tell a person not to prepare for a future? So the warden there, she really liked me. I went to her. One what? A guard? The warden. Yeah, the warden. Oh, the warden. The warden. Me, the warden. Because she had seen things I was doing in prison. I was really. Trying. Trying. And so I wrote it up as a complaint. I filed a complaint about that. <laughs> she calls me to her office, and I explain why. And she looked at me. She said, you know, Alice, she said, Miss Johnson. She said, you know, Miss Johnson, I thought about what you said. You're right. I said, you know, Warden, her name was Warden Reese. If you allow the women to take these classes who have long sentences, a lot of them are getting in trouble because they don't have anything to look forward to. If, in prison. They were getting in, prison, in trouble in prison. Getting in trouble in prison because they're they are shunned, not allowed opportunities. So for someone who's already broken and you're breaking them more, making them feel worthless. They're actually they're not, in a prison in prison. They're in a prison in prison. So it changed things on that compound. It did was, it really? It really did. Because the 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 long the long sentenced women Regardless of what their crime was and what they did, if you gave them something to do and to feel effective and purposeful, they quit acting out as much Absolutely. in prison because they had something to look forward to Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. And so from that speaks to humanity. It really does. When you can look at someone and say you have value, you you have worth, and even the plays that I put on, many of the women had never heard applause in their life. What do you mean? They'd never have, they've never been applauded. They've never been applauded. No one has ever given them applause. So to do their part good, to sing, to have their artwork on display, because I didn't do mediocre stuff. I would do pageantry. It would look as if they were going to a theater on the outside. And when I went to the next prison, hold the word— Hold it. How long were you at that prison? Only a year. And I shook it. I turned it upside down. <laughs> That's phenomenal. We interviewed, uh, now I, I can't help it, but you're reminding me of so many things. Deb Ellinger is a, is a woman in Detroit who serves food and has homes for trafficked and pimped women mm. in Detroit. And the way she finds them is she literally goes out into the streets and gives them sandwiches and food and clothes. And if only for 15 or 30 minutes, those women opens up, have someone to talk to and they eventually open up. But the thing she says that she makes sure she does every time before she leaves is she looks every one of those women's eyes and she said, you are loved by God and your life has value. And when you want to get out of this life, there are people that care enough to help you find that value. And then they leave. And she said, eventually, they they come to her and they get out of that life because they've just never been told by anybody they have. that they have value. And you say, it's the same thing. It is. These people have never been applauded. They've, they've never, never been, been congratulated. Applauded. They've mm -hmm. never felt good about themselves. They've never been recognized. The power of that. The power of even encouragement of showing love to someone else who don't even love themselves. Uh, when I left there, 
after being there a little over a year. I was at Carswell, the next prison, for 15 years. And Where was that? In Texas, Fort okay. Worth. When I got there, it was so depressing. So many women were in wheelchairs. Some were blind. Some had no legs. Some of them were mental in the hospital part. So this was FCI, Federal Correctional Institute, but medical. It was a medical center. But they had built high-rises because the female population was exploding in less than, at that time, it was five years. But it, in 10 years, it had increased by 800% women. And they didn't have enough prisons, so they had to build high-rises at other prisons to bring women in. And we were quadruple bunk, quadruple bunk, four of us, in this little tight space that you can't even stand side by side. That What's the, going on in our society that our prison population has increased by 800%? This should tell you something. In the United States, we account for less than 6% of the world population but we incarcerate 25% of the world population. It's our laws. To be honest with you, a lot of it is driven by the private prison industry. Their stock, when things fell in 2008, when, it, when everything was crashing, do you know what went up? Prison stock. It's like trading humanity at so the stock So are they market. lobbying for tougher laws of to course. increase the prison of population? Of course, of course. They have they're a, they are a very strong group because in their contracts, when they get a federal contract, a private prison facility, in the contract, they're guaranteed ninety percent of the beds would be filled, and if it drops to eighty percent, then the government has to pay them what they're losing. So it's like, are they going to lobby against themselves? It's, it's it's not right, but it's what it's one of the things. And the, there are so many laws on the books now. The recidivism rate, even when people get out, is so easy to make a have a technical violation and be locked back up again. But my life at Carswell, at that medical center, totally changed because these there's a whole building with unhealthy women. There's a floor of women who are dying. There's a hospice unit. I ended up taking hospice training when I discovered that unit. And I would, uh, many times, they would allow them when they got to the end of their days, at the very end, they would give them the opportunity to ask for an inmate to sit with them because I was a volunteer. I got trained. I never thought I'd do something like that. So I was so busy because so many of them would ask for me to sit with them. And so. And you sat while they died. I sat with them. I read to them. I sing to them. Uh, Why? Because I was given, I was told that I was going to die. But not just because of that. To be alone and to die alone with no family around you, to me, was about the worst thing. They didn't come there to die. They got sick or they came in sick. And that was the only medical facility for women in the country. So if you were dying, you had had to come to Carswell. So you got transferred there because the population uh-huh. was, the, the prison population was exploding and it had empty beds. It had empty beds. So yeah. you went there to keep the numbers up. Absolutely. A lot of women were still in what they call the pipeline. They were in county jails, and so they couldn't be moved to a federal facility because it was there weren't enough. So they had to build more so they could get the women out of the jails and get them into a prison cell on federal property. So really for me, sitting with women, it was an honor for me to be able to help someone transition. But it also became, when my father passed away, I had to stop. Because it was it was too emotional for me to be with them. Because my father died suddenly while I was gone. You said you never thought you'd find yourself working in hospice, um, but you did it because you, um, you you just never wanted to see anybody pass alone, right? Which is so kind, really. It's the 
depth of your kindness. I think, again, that's some of your mama's DNA coming out in you. But there's this one particular story of a Catholic woman that was in hospice, I think, in Texas, right? Right. Share that with us. Well, previously, I would always work in the chapel, volunteering. I'd find my way back to the chapel. So I knew about the songs that they would sing. And every time I would have a new patient, I'd call her my patient in hospice, I'd find out, what is your faith? Because I want to read to them. I want to do something for them. And you want to honor their faith. I want to honor their faith, yes. And so this particular woman, she was in a comatose appearance. Her mouth was open. Her eyes were staring blankly. And when I arrived there to sit with her, they told me that she couldn't hear and that uh, she didn't understand that she wasn't comprehending anything. She was in a coma, basically a comatose state, and her family were no longer visiting her because they couldn't stand to see her looking like that. So I found out she was Catholic. So I just started singing to her. I was singing a lot to the women, or oh, I'd read from their passages. I'd keep them, you know, I'd just communicate with them anyway. And so while I'm singing, Ten Piedad, which is Lord have mercy. I'm singing, Oh Lord have mercy, Oh Lord have mercy. As I'm singing, Oh Lord have mercy on me, a tear started running down her face. And I walked over to her and I started singing again. I stopped for a moment and I said, Can you hear me? I said, Do you understand what I'm saying? I said, if you do blink once, and she blinked. And I said, do you want your family to come and visit? I said some other things, but I had her blinking. So I ran out and got the nurse, and I told her that this woman, is she can hear, she understands. She literally was trapped in her body. And they contacted the doctor, and then they did some other tests with her with the same blinking. And her family was able to come back to see her, and they spent the last days with her. And so that was that was just really the power of... of and if you don't think you can make light in the darkest of places like prison, that story is metaphorically... I mean, you were able to reunite a dying woman with her family when, yes. when even the trained professionals said she was catatonic. They did. And through just some genuine care, compassion, and love, you were able to communicate with her. I was able to communicate with her. They knew me for sitting with the women when they were in hospice and at found days. So many women had the opportunity to ask for a special, one of the special volunteers. That's who they want with them. So I spent a lot of time in hospice <laughs> because a lot of them wanted me to sit with them. I've held their hands. Thing. So um, <laughs> here's an interesting thing I read that you did, I think, when in Texas. Uh, was Special Olympics in Texas or Houseville? It was in Texas. It was Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't think of uh, Special Olympics in a uh, federal prison, but somehow, uh, I guess when you make plays and everything else you did in prison, why not the Special Olympics? But tell me about that. Well, there had never been a Special Olympics in prison before. Well, shocking. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, seeing the women who were on the fringes who were not involved with anything, I decided I want to help bring Special Olympics. So we created, I helped coordinate events for them. Even one of the women, I asked her, Anna, I said, Anna, because she didn't have any legs. She lost them in a car accident before prison. I said, what do you miss most about not having your legs? And she said, Miss Alice, I miss dancing. So I said, well, you're going to dance again. So for part of the entertainment for the Special Olympics to honor them as they were getting their medals, Anna danced with me. I created a dance to the song Never Give Up, and I taught her how to use her upper body. And as the other women used their legs and upper body, she mimicked, and she was in the circle. She was crying. It was so beautiful. The Special Olympics National heard about the Special Olympics that was being done in a a prison. 
So I had no idea that they were coming out. So they came out to see our Special Olympics medals being awarded. And they also saw the uh, entertainment. They also saw Anna dance. And so they gave me an award called the Special Olympics Coordinator of the Year Award. I've never heard of anything like that. I think they made it up, Bill, just to give me something. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The plays that I would write, I would have to do four performances. I would do one that was strictly for those in the medical building. If you saw how those women would dress up, (laughs) they dressed up like they were going out on the town, creases on everything, hair done, makeup on. I'd put little flowers we'd have made on their wheelchairs. I used them in different roles so that they could be a part of the rest of the community. But my my life in prison, I can honestly tell you, Bill, was not wasted. Um, I was able to bring theater. I discovered, I would hear, they've told my sister who's here with me today, uh, some of the women would tell her that, Alice, we were when we saw her coming, the first thing I say to them is, the Lord has need of you. Hmm. <laughs> that was my getting them. I'd hear a voice in the, di- in the dining room. And I said, I need, that's the exact voice I need for this role. And so the plays became so huge 
that the people on the outside started getting tickets to come into the prison to watch. Are you kidding? I am not kidding. That's great. When I left, I just, this last prison, I went to Aliceville. Is that Alabama? In Alabama. Which is Uh, three and a half, four hours south of here. So you got closer to home. I got closer to home. I was there five years, Carswell, 15, the other prison, you know, and some change a few months over those years, everywhere at the different places. But the I went back to Aliceville to be their keynote speaker at a graduation in Hold October. It. We're gonna get to that. Okay. So you're in Aliceville. Yes, I'm in Aliceville. And you're still doing you're 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 trying to make value of your life and and affect positively this population that you're a part of now. Right. They really which have- is incarcerated women. Incarcerated women, they really helped me, though. Bill, it's something about when you serve other people, when you try <laughs> to encourage them, you encourage yourself. Man, we and talk so, about it every single show, but you get a thousand times more out of this kind of work than you put into you it. You do. You honestly do. But you're doing that, uh-huh. and you're in Aliceville. I'm in and, Aliceville. But you still, you have no hope. Of getting out. No, I've been trying. You have hope of a life in prison. You're going to make the best of it. But I never stopped fighting. I was still filing motions and getting denied. My family was still rock steady right there beside me, fighting with me. My daughters went to the White House to, 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 to different convenings. My sisters were doing prayer vigils, candlelight vigils, bringing attention. So I started- And nobody says- you didn't deserve some jail time for what you did. I never all said they, nobody, but all they're saying is <laughs> it's too much life. Mm-hmm. And yet, in twenty-one years, seven months, and ten days, you were released. Yes. How did that happen? I started speaking at different colleges from prison, which is crazy. It's crazy. They <laughs> skyped me into Yale University to speak to the law students, and you're speaking about prison reform. I'm speaking about clemency. I'm putting my face out here and telling my story. It's interesting that the prisons would even allow you to do that. They did it. It wasn't. In fact, they would clear the room and they would tell the other prisoners, be quiet because Miss Johnson is speaking at this place. And of course, the prisoners knew who you were, so they would actually yeah. be quiet for you. Oh, they did. They. I had a lot of children because women at female prisons, you don't really have gangs, you have families, and I had a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now you're from prison talking about clemency, prison reform, truth and sentencing. All of this stuff All to this, law uh, students. Pro, pro, law students, What mainly. was that other word that got you? Uh, that Conspiracy. Got you? Yeah, all that. That old ugly word. Yeah, um, and so you're talking. I'm talking about this, but the prison said, Ms. Johnson, you, we'll let you do these things as long as you don't speak negatively about the prison. Well, of course I'm not going to do that because, like Joseph, everything that was done was placed in my hand because it would be excellent. Even the staff things, if they're having events, get Miss Johnson to help with some ideas. I'd end up getting putting the whole thing together. And so I was no trouble. I was never been in trouble in prison. I was very trustworthy. The things that I did with putting plays on, none of that was ever for sale on the compound. I was squeaky clean, as they say, a model prisoner. I'm taking all these classes, even though I have a life sentence. I'm leading the pack, getting people to sign up for classes. I'm taking them electrical. I'm afraid of fire, and I take electrical. That's just something I've always wondered. Do prison guards know what you did? Yes. Do they have your rap sheet? Uh So even prison guards know. They wanted me to go home. That's my question. They did. The prison guards, when I came out, they were so happy. They were so happy. It's a prison that guards themselves knew you didn't deserve this. They didn't. And every time they see someone get clemency, get free, they would be so sad. Miss Johnson, it's going to be your time. Or either Miss Alvis, they got to see who you are. You have no business here. And people, I think that gave people hope too, because when they found out the women who had short sentences found out that I had a life sentence, it was like she's either crazy or... (laughs) This lady's crazy. Uh-huh. But anyway, you're speaking at colleges. I'm speaking at colleges. I spoke at a YouTube and Google event wow. on criminal justice, and someone heard me speak. He said he walked in late, but when he walked in, he sees this me up on this big screen. He hears my voice, 
And he said, we have got to get her to do a, a video op-ed. Do you think that's possible? I had never done that before. But I did the video op-ed. It went viral. I didn't even know what the word viral meant. I thought I had introduced the virus into the Internet. Well, <laughs> but the other thing is, do you have access to that in the prison? Yeah, we had we had gotten video visitation. Okay. And so that's what I would be in there doing it at a time that people weren't there. I got it. So this thing goes viral. It goes viral. And somebody Some, whose name we heard. Somebody whose name that many people know saw it the second day. And she saw it and she tweeted out, this is so unfair. She retweeted it. And it went from being viral to Kim Kardashian, made it go super viral, over 10 million views. And she contacted her attorney to find me, to ask me if I wanted to get out of jail, wanted her to hire her to get me out of jail. I said, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, the rest is kind of history. Kim. Well, hold it. There's a white, Kim Kardashian cannot get you out of That's jail. That's what I'm getting ready to tell you now, okay. that history part. Kim contacted Ivanka Trump, who showed my case to Jared. And this is the first time that anyone has peeled back the layers and actually read what I did. And they went to work. They called themselves Team Alice. Kim hired new lawyers. She brought in new lawyers to put different set of eyes on it. She brought in a local attorney here in Memphis, Mike Show, to see what he could do through the courts. And the other three were to fight to help prepare clemency paperwork and fight for that. So for seven months, they kept trying to get an audience with President Trump on my birthday they finally got it and Kim and Sean Holly went to the White House and met with the president and seven days later I was running across that road free that day that <laughs> that you have your prayers answered and you honestly most people would have thought never happened and you get out of prison, what was that like for you? What did it feel like? Well, the day that I was got the news that I was getting clemency, it was Hamburger Day. Hamburger Day? <laughs> it was a Wednesday, and that's the only time that we got hamburgers. So I was, was all— Was a hamburger a treat? Oh, yes, it was a treat to get a hamburger. What was the other food? You don't want to know. Okay. Okay. Mystery meat. Hamburger, hamburger and chicken day. Were things that I look forward to, but I just wanted to feel normal. And the women were so excited because my face is all on the news saying it might happen today. And as soon as I took that bite bill, they called my name to return back to the unit. And when I got the news, it was Kim Kardashian who told me she thought I knew that I was going home. All the women were screaming because I was screaming. And uh, an hour and a half later, I heard my name over the intercom. Alice Marie Johnson, report to R&D. What's what's R&D? It's release. It's where you get released from. I've forgotten what the D is. But it's release. It's release. Everyone knows that R&D is where you are released. So the whole jail knew. You're gone. They know. They knew. So they were screaming. They had locked the whole compound down. I didn't know it, that all these reporters were out there from all over the country. They had satellites. So they didn't want... uh, they had locked everyone down for me to walk across the compound. So when I started walking down the stairs, they started stomping first. It was three building. It housed 1,600 women total. Was, and they're all stomping. They're stomping. And as I start going down the stairs, they could see me when I, because I was on the top, as I'm exiting my, my building, women in every window had their cups beating the window, and the stomping got louder and louder and louder. It really and truly sounded like an earthquake. It felt like the ground was shaking. And they were being, and it's almost like it, with one chorus, they were screaming and crying, Miss Alice, please don't forget about us. And when I took my hands and put it over my heart and made the motion that I was ripping my heart out and throwing it to them, they went crazy. I'm telling you, Bill, I think the ground was moving. And as I walked out the door, the officers headed to R&D were lined up in two different lines on either side of the sidewalk, and they stood at 
attention for me. You're kidding. I am not. A, I'm not kidding. What an honor that both inmates and guards alike celebrated your release. They did. And as we passed through the lower security facility, which was the camp, the same scene, all of the women had left out of the camp because it was a minimum out. They weren't locked up. They were all out there with the guards. They were waving, once again, guards standing as I'm passing by, and the women were screaming, saying, I love you, Miss Alice. Don't forget about us. Even one of the ladies who came has come home now. I didn't know what happened, but she fainted. She was so overcome. And you made good on your word. You hadn't forgot about it. I have not. Fighting every day for him. Fighting every day for him. Do you pinch yourself? I do, still. I- I'm going to tell you, Bill, the thing that really lets me know that I'm really free is when I wake up in the morning. I do this every morning. I don't just jump up unless the phone is ringing or some crisis is going on. I just lay in my bed and look at the ceiling. I do this every single morning. I look at the ceiling because I'm no longer looking at a bunk bed over my head. And that kind of centers me that I really am free. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After 21 years, seven months, and 10 days in prison that you might should have been in prison for two years for, 
maybe. Um, do you ever dream or have flashbacks that you're still there? Yes, I do. That's trauma. It is. There are certain things that that I didn't realize how badly I could be triggered. Uh, because when I came out, I immediately started fighting for the freedom of others. Sometimes when I read others' cases to to really get into the meat of how I'm going to fight for them, that will trigger me into a nightmare. Something that gave me one of the worst nightmares, though, was on October the 7th. Of what year? This year. Okay. The war. When I saw the captives, I went mm. to bed and I was sweating. You mean Israel, Hamas? Israel. When and I you saw the is the the Hamas guys captured. snatching the Israel. Yes, when I saw this woman they had captured and I was shaking. I went to I went to sleep that night and I was that woman. And I woke up. That was the first time I have not just had a regular nightmare, but had a crying, such a crying nightmare. I was so broken. I woke myself up sobbing from seeing that. There's a reason I ask. Uh-huh. I have to believe that that's largely universal among people who've spent an extended period of time in jail. It has. It, there's no way that you can. It is trauma to spend that time in prison. And to think that you just come out and you can, you know, some people say, don't look back. I have not only looked back, I've gone back. And how can, how can, I get the, I get the perspective of don't look back, your life's ahead of you, whatever. But that's almost in the same vein of if you're broken of the hood and you want something out of your life, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which that sounds good. It sounds good. But that ain't the way it works. It's not. Because we're human and we have memory. You you can't, I can't just erase my memory. But for me, Bill, I actually did find purpose in prison. I, I actually did find forgiveness for others and forgiveness for, my, for myself too. Having gone there and been away from my children. So when we first started talking, I said, repeated, actually, something you told me before we went live, which is, your story's phenomenal. And everybody who's listened to everything we've talked about right now, not only is it a lesson of redemption, it's a lesson of forgiveness, self-forgiveness, determination, being steadfast. It's a lesson of egos and family and addiction. Um, sorrow, loss of a child. It, it's just, you know, um, your life is a lesson of just so much. But when I asked you to put it in an elevator pitch, you said, and I'll repeat now, you want to humanize those who our current society doesn't often necessarily humanize. And the reason I asked you, do you have flashbacks of the trauma of incarceration and everything else is because we talk about recidivism and why and you know it, it the the same PTSD that affects marines and folks in our army when they come back from war and they have a problem reacclimating back to a non-military society that that PTSD of that and a former incarcerated returning citizen, the two PTSDs are different for sure. Mm -hmm. And the circumstances under which those people receive that trauma is different. I'm not likening someone who served our country in the military to a prisoner in that regard. But the level of PTSD can be the same. It can be. And reentry and getting rid of that trauma, even though you owed a debt to society, once that debt to society is paid, we as a society are supposed to be forgiving. We as a society are supposed to say, okay, you did your job, you did your time, but how does that person reacclimate and how can they reacclimate when they are not in fact humanized? 
That's that's true. That's why I believe that I've been given this honor of this huge platform because of the way that I came home, the people who was involved when I came home, but also the work that I've done since I came home. I made a promise to the women when I left that I would never forget about them. I would never stop fighting for them. That fight includes fighting for their children, too, to stay out of, not to go to prison. And so I've really lived up to that. I've been honored all over the world, honored at the United Nations as one of four women's rights defenders, uh, the only one from North America on International Women's Day. I've been honored by Ebony Magazine as one of the 100 most powerful blacks in America. I've spoken on the Essence Power stage. I've spoken in other stages. I went to Tokyo not long ago, and someone, one of the dignitaries' wives, recognized me and invited me to come back and help them launch criminal justice reform for women, the first one. So my voice has reached many. My fight has been sincere. There's no way that I could go come out of that and just go and just live life and have a good time and know that there are people, women and men, who are dependent upon me to be out here reminding people that there are people just like me, that I'm not unique. There are other people, too, who deserve a second chance. We are a country that extends. We want grace. We are a country of second chances, a country that believes in redemption. But somehow, Bill, when it comes to prisoners, that same grace is not extended. Instead of saying this person by their name, they'll say, that's a bank robber. And then they drop their heads in shame. Or that was that former drug dealer. I saw some kids, some young men, when I first got on what they call Con Air, This young man looked in my eyes. I was on my way to prison. And he didn't even look as though he was old enough to shave. He was shackled because we had on waist shackles, wrist shackles, ankle shackles. Some had on black boxes also. And our eyes caught for just one moment. I wish I knew that could find that young man because it was that look in his eyes and that just tear that road, he couldn't stop it. Just looking at me, I don't know who I reminded him of. And then he just shook his head, and he kept shuffling on back to the back of the plane as we were being transported. I never forgot his face and the look in his eyes, and I thought that was some kid. I don't know what he did, but somewhere someone dropped him and didn't pick him up. He fell through somebody's crack. He probably never heard any applause. He probably never heard any applause. And I have thought about him over the years, over and over. And sometimes, Bill, when I'm so tired, I can put images back in my head. And that keeps driving me because I've been given the gift of freedom. Talk to me about the importance of the First Step Act. The First Step Act was actually the first, the most significant criminal justice reform in 30 years. And what bipartisan, it, by the way. Bipartisan. Look, look what our country did. They came bipartisan. up with something bipartisan, at least one thing. Yeah, and the reason they called me the face of it, because my release, when people saw me, when the president saw me, it changed hearts. Because I was not the stereotypical. And ironically enough, this is President Trump we're talking about. Yes, Absolutely. And a very divided, democratically controlled Congress yes. that we're talking about. Five they came ago. together. To overwhelmingly passed it. Right. And even when President Trump was endorsing it, he said, I asked for sentencing reform because I don't want there to be another Alice Johnson. And for that, over 30,000 people have come home early. And contrary to what is being said, they are not the reason for the crime problem. They are not real. They are not. Uh, let me let me give you these statistics. Please do. Of crime that has taken place in America, those who came out on the First Step Act account for point zero one 
0.014%, not even a half a point, 0.014. of the people who are incarcerated are going to one day come home because they're going to be finished with their sentences. Would you rather them come out through the First Step Act that makes sure that they have re- have gone through reentry programs, they're prepared to reenter society. They don't just open the door and say, go home on the First Step Act. They have to be carefully vetted to make sure that they don't pose a safety risk in the community, to make sure that they have the skills necessary to get a job. They connect them with others out there. They do a lot of things for the people coming home on the First Step Act. So for those who are crying to repeal the First Step Act, it's idiocracy. It's insane. It is is duplicitous stupidity. It is. For anyone. And it's... I know somewhere there's power and money behind those decisions it's because it's be. always got power it's, and money behind it's gotta it. It's got to be. But I couldn't agree with you more. It is stupid because if you're let out under the First Step Act, you were probably going to be cleaner than folks that had ever served any time. You yeah. do it right. Their recidivism rate is less than a fourth of those who are coming home anyway. And many of those are technical violations that send them back to prison. They would want everyone to go through what the people have to go through who come out on the First Step Act. So I, I'm really championing championing their causes. I'm in the process of telling the stories, success stories of people who came out and made good of their second chance because somehow we have got to combat the narrative that we need to go back to a punitive and not a restorative type of model because that is what we need in this country right now. We are not the worst country in the world, but our criminal justice issues shared to the rest of the world says that we are the most evil country in the world to incarcerate 25% of the whole world. I am not a hopeless person. Me neither. I, I still believe, I still believe in this nation. We can't fix though what we don't understand. We can't, but you know it starts with us. You mean normal folks? Normal folks. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me about TAG. TAG is an organization that I formed in 2020 when COVID hit because I was working on Clemens. Good timing. Yes. <laughs> and I had to be able to find the people. It's called Taking Action for Good. And I was able to help so many people get their freedom because they found me. I didn't have to go out and find them. And then once I started seeing success, the first three people who I helped gain their freedom were three of my good friends in prison who didn't even know I was working to help them gain their freedom. Wow. And I started getting all of these petitions. Have they reoffended? No. Of course no. not. No, they have not. You know, we don't allow them to. They've got, what do you do to not allow them to? The ones who have come home, they become mentors for the ones who are just coming home. So they have contact. They have someone that they can ask, what do I do in this situation? That understands their that past understands and their reality and their trauma. Absolutely. But just even more so than that, they were so vetted and we were so connected with their families. And even now, I've met with different governors. I met with one governor. And uh, I spoke, talked to him about geriatric clemencies for those who've aged out of criminality who pose no risk, and he let them go on his way out the door. And I've been able to meet. It's something when you meet with someone, you look them in their eyes, and you remind them, remind them, because some have had a bad experience, and they forget that we live in an imperfect world. It's so easy to say this one over here came out in the first step act. Let me hold this up as a reason you don't need to do it. Or this one over here reoffended. Let me hold this up. It's so easy to become jaded. Yeah, that's one in not many. But it's easy to become jaded. I, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to the devil's advocate that I'm going to give you right now. Okay. Crime is out of control in many of our cities and in Memphis it's up and I mean it's up it's up New York it's up Chicago it's up crime is up I mean the fact is crime is up and the criminals are getting younger and younger and frankly it's a little scary it's getting more and more violent in a lot of places and we see stories all the time of smashing grabs and in San Francisco 30 people breaking out the door of a Macy's and running in and grabbing stuff and leaving and uh, jewelers getting broken in the middle of the day and they're smashing and grabbing and taking jewelry. And, you know, at some point, a law-abiding, tax-paying, trying to do it right, raise your children, do the right thing, citizen of this world, surrounded by all of this, gets scared. And when they're scared, they default to the easy thing, which is build more jails, lock them up. And keep them there forever because you can't do anything with, quote, these people. You want to speak to that? To paint everyone with this broad brush is so wrong. And just like the failed, I'm going to repeat that again, the failed war on drugs, that is not the answer. That is not the answer with the smashing grabs. It's you've got to get in. We've got to not be afraid. We've got to take the lead. Us grown folks, we've got to take the lead. And it starts with a one community at a time. You see, we're looking at this as a whole, and we think we can't do anything. Because the problem is so huge. It's so big. Fear will paralyze you from making that first step of just, okay, I'm going to work in my neighborhood. 
I'm going to start with my neighborhood. I'm not going to try to solve the problems of every city in America. I'm going to start with my neighborhood and let's us gather these kids up. Let's us start doing something. Let's us start showing them a better way. Let's us get in their heads and let's find out what's driving them to do this. If you can break up the kids and not just let them go and say, glad it's not my kid. It is your kid because it's your neighborhood. And it will be your problem. And it will be your problem. We ordered. I'm going to repeat what you what what you stand for, what ordinary people can do. I know the power of the ordinary person. We're not trying to be heroes. We're not trying to be famous. We're just trying to make whatever difference we can make. And it really, it has to be us saying, uh, yes, I'm tired, I'm scared, but that fear is going to drive me to be a part of what's going to be the solution for Memphis. And clearly, if we're 6% of the world's population and have 25% of the total prison population in the world and our crime is doubling, what we're doing now ain't working. It's not working. So just like the laws I talked about that keep families broke up, just like the truth and sentencing stuff that is scary, just like the mandatory drug laws, well-intentioned, but they ain't working. It's so not working. let's try something else. And there are answers, but each community has a different answer. Someone who's listening tonight is somebody's answer, and they don't even realize it. Hmm. That's beautiful. I, um, I'm so inspired by you. What are you doing now? What are you doing today? What are you doing this week? What's on the agenda? What's next? On my agenda, I have a big family. A lot of them are coming in for Christmas. Yep. We're going to have Christmas dinner together. Then we're going to have two days later, we're going to have a little Christmas soiree for grown folks. you got to be over 30 <laughs> to come. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Can anybody in your family cook like your mama? I cook pretty good. Now. Do you really? What cook. you cooking? Are you cooking for Christmas? I'm cooking turkey. I make, make breads. I make desserts. Yeah. I love to bake. So I'm a good old biscuit maker. Yeah. So one of them days, they're going to come over to my house and they're going to have some salmon croquettes and uh, biscuits and some uh, smothered potatoes and pork chops smothered in gravy. My wife yeah, makes I, some of the best fried pork chops. Oh, I love them. I love them. I can eat a mess of that until I want to die. That is so good. Um, you know, Bill, I, I, I really, I know you asked me a little bit, but I, I just would like to ask the listeners if they'd like to support some of the work that I do. That's where I'm going su- next. But support us at takingactionforgood.org. If someone wants to get involved with you, how do they reach you? They can reach me through our tag website. Just shoot me a note. I can I can put them to work. If uh, if someone out there has someone that's been in prison far too long for something that they got it, not that they didn't earn the charge, but the sentencing is too long and they're languishing in prison for something that they have served their time for, um, can they reach out to you and find out how they to get absolutely help? absolutely can. How? Takingactionforgood.org. They can email, tell us about the case. Someone will answer them, and I'll get some details for them. But we really do need some support right now because we are scaling up. Because my next frontier, in addition to that, is going to be I'm coming for the children to help them. I want to be part of the answer right here in Memphis, right in Olive Branch. I want to be someone's answer. The power of an army of normal people from the daughter of a sharecropper to someone who's been in front of the United Nations and governors and Kim Kardashian and the Trumps and was the center of probably the most effective bipartisan legislation we've had. We've figured out how to muster in the last eight years. Alice Johnson, you are amazing. You're redemptive. You're inspirational. And um, I just cannot thank you for your time. Thank you, Coach Beal. I didn't expect to have this honor to be right here with Mr. Undefeated himself. Oh, but for gosh sakes, I am, Malcolm. Look, I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a little starstruck. 
don't be starstruck. Just um, a little bit. Thanks for thanks for being with us, and um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Merry Year to Christmas you. Merry Christmas to you too. Thank you. And thank you for joining us this week. If Alice Marie Johnson or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, to take action by donating to Taking Action for Good, by serving prisoners, by fighting for criminal justice reform, or something else entirely, please let me know. I'd love to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. And I'm telling you, I will respond. And keep emailing us all the story ideas. It's been unbelievably helpful and satisfying to tell these stories that come organically from you, the Army. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends and on social. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Become a premium member at normalfolks.us. All of these things that will help us grow. An Army of Normal Folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.